Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome back to Compound Interests. I am your host, John Najarian or Dr. J. And my guest today was the editor-in-chief and the founder of Blackhawk Financial, Leanna Hawkins. And Leanna has a great uh, history uh, because she's a former um, high-end racer, top three racer in Canada, uh, ski racer that is, very disciplined young woman. And she has a fabulous Instagram account that is at Leanna, L-E-A-N-N-A underscore Hawk, H-A-W-K. Um, and she's got something called the Wealthy Society, and it's uh, the Wealthy Mindset. So the Wealthy Mindset is W-E-L-L-T-H-Y, and wealthy as in be well, do well. And she has done just that because um, she's written a great book uh, about financial freedom, and she gives 100% of those profits to a charity called We. Um, and if you're at a Dwayne Reed in New York, you might see that on the back of the shirts of the kids walking around in the store with those shirts. And I think you're really going to enjoy um, exactly how she um, has grown into uh, somebody who advises uh, hedge funds and uh, family offices, as well as um, building this financial network. I think you're really going to enjoy the discussion with Leanna Hawkins. And here she is. Thank you, John. It's always nice to see you. And I'm excited to get into it today. Throw yeah. whatever you want at me. I'm ready. Well, um, you know, it turns out, folks, that uh, I follow her Instagram account. And it is not so much snarky, but it's always funny and many times very insightful. You drop a lot of truth bombs as well as interesting facts and so forth. And then uh, there's just lots of great pictures of Leanna on there in front of audiences because folks, if you recognize her, you may recognize her from Bloomberg or from CNBC because she's been all over both of these. Um, she does a great job promoting financial literacy, uh, Basically, we're going to go over some of the um, most recent, I think back in October, Liana, you had, um, I think it was, was it five points that you made in an article back in October about things people needed to do to be, you know, basically young, fun and financially free. Um, we're going to go over those. But if you wouldn't mind getting people started with your background, how did you get started uh, in something that's now been, I guess, 11 or 12 year journey in mm -hmm. finance? So I come from a background that actually, considering I am sometimes called a personal finance or investing expert for millennials, and um, I, I don't, I mean, I don't necessarily think that I am, but sometimes people call me that. I come from a very different background from a lot of the people on social media that or people that write books and things like that in the personal finance space like as you probably know something like 90 percent or 95 percent of people that write books on money 
don't have a background in finance, educated in or um, experience-wise in their career. So I actually did grow up in the alternative finance space. And that's how we initially got introduced at the SALT conference years ago. And I, I love that. I'm very, very lucky that when I was in high school, I just started watching CNBC after school every day out of personal interest. And I did have some older friends, some guys that had, they were in college and they started day trading and they had the penthouses and the Porsches. And I was, I think in like 10th grade. And I'm like, how did those guys, they're in school. How are they making all this money? And I asked them and they're, oh, we're day trading. And I, I am by no means, I don't consider myself a day trader now, nor was I ever, but it sparked the interest for me to get interested in investing and in stocks and the markets. And so I, I really took it upon myself to self-teach, which I think that's sort of where most people start from these days. Mm -hmm. And that parlayed itself through college and then into a career in finance and investing, investor relations, marketing, business development for alternative funds, public companies. I've lived in Canada, the US, the UK, France, all working and living in finance and building a, an insane network of mentors and people that have just really helped develop my knowledge in my career. But, you know, my dad is a, a mechanical engineer. Mom was a grade one teacher. So all the time, you know, when I go to these events where guys like you are there and people much senior to me uh, that have been in the industry forever and I may look and act and speak a little bit differently than them being a young woman, um, which is more common now, but 10 years ago, especially it was more rare for sure. And, you know, I just want to soak up every bit of knowledge that I can from these people and, you know, people like you. And I took them out for coffees, took them out for lunch, took them out for a drink after work. And I always footed the bill. I didn't let the guys pay. Like that was the kind of thing that I did. And that hustle and drive and persistence, whether you're self-teaching yourself how to become a trader, an investor, financially independent, or just to develop in whatever career is your dream that you want to have. That's what really brings me passion in how I've now ultimately written this financial literacy book, Young Fun Financially Free, and doing all the things I do on social media and on TV to really show people that if you put your mind to it and learn just some of the basics, you can get to where you want and need to be. Well, folks, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say that uh, her Instagram handle is Leanna, that's L-E-A-N-N-A underscore um, Hawk, H-A-W-K, even though that's not her last name. Uh, it's not, but you know but, what? It comes from my last name. You better. So when I was, when I was, I think my first job in the markets, I was 19 doing junior investor relations for some public companies um, in the commodities. And I would go out, I wasn't even legal yet, but I was going to all the bars and the restaurants, all the networking events with the brokers and um, the investment managers that I was working with. And, you know, I'm having all the drinks. Nobody would ever ask how old I am. And I would just carry myself in a certain way, hand out my business card. And all these, these guys, it, it really was all men. They yeah. all started calling me little Hawk. And they'd be like, little Hawk, you coming to the steakhouse tonight? Like, so they would, they would call me that. And it was just a joke. But throughout the years, now I'm in my 30s, some, some of the guys I know from back in the day or some people that I even put this in my book, talking about little Hawk, because my last name is Hawkins. And now my company name is Black Hawk Financial. 
And yeah, it's just, you know, the hawk, it's a thing. The hawk, yeah. Well, um, my nickname's Dr. J because my dad was a transplant surgeon. Um, and so to honor him, I picked a three letter acronym, DRJ, um, like the basketball player in Philadelphia <laughs> with the Sixers, the Dr. J, or my dad, who is also known as Dr. J. So something like the Hawk, it's no wonder that that's stuck because that's a great nickname. Well, and most people just think I'm a Blackhawks fan, but, you know? <laughs> but well, no, there's more to the story. There is. And by the way, folks, um, that book that I would encourage you um, to get for your son or daughter or husband or wife, grandmother, grandfather, young, fun, and financially free, um, Leanna donates 100% of the profits um, to that charity, W.E. Charity. Maybe yeah. just quickly tell, you don't have to make it too quick, but tell us about that charity, Leanna. So the WE organization, um, they actually build villages and support people in third world countries, um, primarily in Kenya. And they have five pillars of the organization. The last pillar is called the opportunities pillar. And so all the money from the book goes to the opportunities pillar of the WE Foundation. As a subtle reminder to anyone who is most likely in a civilized country in the Western world, reading this book um, in English that you have so many more opportunities in your life to change whatever financial circumstance you might be in right now, whatever environment socioeconomically or politically that you grew up in, you have so many opportunities that people in a place like Kenya or a third world country will never ever have. And you know, giving the money to this part of the organization to help those people learn income skills and have them be able to be independently sustainable in their own villages, teaching them things like animal husbandry, jewelry making. They then actually sell, if you look at the Dwayne Reed stores here in New York, all the people that work there, they wear t-shirts and on the back of them, it says um, me to we. So it kind of teaches people that collectively we can make a difference and in terms of the financial side and financial literacy, again, a reminder that if you have the ability to read this book, if you have the internet, if you have clean water, you have access to so much free education and ways that you can self-teach yourself because obviously none of us really adults that are of age now, we didn't learn this stuff in school, but you have so many opportunities to change your financial situation from no matter what. And you and I both know the stories of the multimillionaires, the billionaires that did come from nothing and they they made it and they did self-teach themselves. They took risks and we can all do that, but there's so many people in the world that can't do that. So we need to be grateful and take advantage of those opportunities. Absolutely. Um, and I applaud you for it. I mean, it's 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 yet another thing that, that made you special when I started looking into who is Leanna. Um, and so thank you for that for those people uh, who would love to thank you in person, I'm sure, and hopefully you get plenty of opportunities for them to do just that. Um, what is the Wealth Society? And she's spelling it, by the way, folks, W-E-L-L, -L, the Wealth Society. What is that that you've created? So it's sort of, I mean, lots of people are sort of picking up on that term wealth, W-E-L-L-T-H, because in this era of health and wellness and everybody has some new diet plan, wellness plan, workout, virtual program, whatever, 
a lot of people are really focused on those physical attributes of life and the look good, think good, feel good of that, which is very important. It's also very helpful for mental capacity and cognition abilities and decision-making abilities and sleep. And, you know, Ariana Huffington, she wrote a book called The Sleep Revolution and her company Thrive. Like those things are very important and they do really tie into our financial wellness and the financial and business decisions, career decisions we make in our life. So I know you come from a background of being a professional athlete. I grew up ski racing to a very high level, being a girl from Vancouver, Canada. So I was very competitive athlete in a special program in school um, and skipped grades and stuff like that because I was doing all of my schoolwork from home for part of college and part of high school. And so I have a strong belief that those two things, the health and wellness from a physical um, and mental perspective is very, very much tied to financial wellness. And I see a lot of people in the industry, I actually got hired as a commodities broker, an oil broker years, eight years ago or something. And this guy only hired people that were ex-national or professional athletes because he said, when you, do, when you are an athlete, especially as a child, children learn so much about respect, teamwork, individual play, winning and losing. All these things are so applicable to business life, financial life. You learn how to take risks. You learn discipline. And again, all these things tie in with each other so much. So a lot of the stuff that I do talk about is, you know, sleep is so important to be able to level up financially. You have to have a good balance of both. And you also can't go spend all your money on all the protein powders and the vitamins at GNC. Like you have to take care of yourself, but you really have to focus on the financial side as well and how those things all tie in with each other. Yeah, well, you won't believe it, but uh, our backgrounds are so similar in many regards. Number one, I love skiing. I'm very passionate about it. Um, I, I'm still hoping uh, because I carry dual passports, um, I'm hoping that I'll be able to go over to Switzerland um, the 24th of January and uh, go to Cron, Montana, um, go to Sasfi, go to Verbier and ski nice. again this year um, for you know a couple weeks. And then I'll go out to Park City later in the year, but not during um, President's Day because I hate that. I love I'm actually outdoors. going to Park City on the 24th. <laughs> oh, you'll just miss me. I'll, I'll, I'll be there the 18th through the 23rd in Park City. <laughs> okay. so we'll just miss each other. Well, um, I'm very lucky. I have my, uh, my best New York girlfriend in the industry as well, was my neighbor here. Central Park South is where, where I live in New York, got the dog, always take him out to the park. And she moved out of this area and got a house in Deer Valley. So I'm set for the season, luckily. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm jealous and um, I still race, um, not at your level, um, but I still race. There's, we'll have to get you on our team because Liana, seriously, the, you would love this. There's a group called Interbourse and Interbourse has been going on for 50 years now, 5-0 years. Obviously, I haven't been a member of it for that entire time, but um, I started skiing with them probably in the mid nineties. Um, and it really got big. It got to be about six or 700 members. And every year we show up in a ski resort for a, for a week and 
we ski, we eat, we drink, we race. And uh, so we have speed races, we have um, slalom or giant, dual slalom or giant slalom, you yeah. pick. Um, and so, and sometimes they let you do both depending how many people there are. But one of the problems was that Bernie Madoff was a major uh, uh, backer of this because it's how he met overseas money, apparently. But Michael Bloomberg was big in it, uh, Bernie Madoff. But anyway, after Bernie got caught or turned himself in, I guess, um, it went downhill for a couple of years because people didn't like the association with anything that he'd been associated with, even yeah. though the organization had nothing to do with it. It has grown back um, substantially since, you know, Bernie's incarceration. Um, but sadly, this year will be the first year in 50 that we will not have it. We, yeah. we were going to be in, um, oh, let me see, Cormayor, Italy this year. And then when, when the COVID looked like it was going to shut us down because we were in Andermatt last year and they passed the torch to the London Stock Exchange, a different exchange hosts it each year. And then we all just pay our own expenses and contribute some money to an overall pool where we all party. Yeah. <laughs> so it's great. Cool. Oh yeah. my gosh. I don't know how no one, because a lot of people in the industry do know that I used to, to ski race. Mm -hmm. And then at a certain point, um, going to Olympics was three years away, uh, next winter Olympics. Mm -hmm. And I was already going to college for finance. And I was like fully watching. This was like Jim Cramer just started. I was watching him every day at six o'clock. I had, I was on my fifth little black notebook of stock picks and vocabulary to look up. Like I was deep into that. And then, you know, I was thinking if I'm not top three in the country consistently, every race, I don't want to delay my career in finance to go to the next Olympics because you can't, you can't do both at the same time. So, right. yeah. So that was what ended that career, but I am, I'm so up for that. And every time I go skiing with industry guys, they're like, oh yeah, she's probably like, she's okay. We hit the slopes. I'm like, I would technically kick your ass every time. Oh yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> so that would be a fun thing to do. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> you know I'm competitive. Sure. So I will send you um, uh, information about it. And uh, we would love to have you race on our team. I'm sure you'd be the number one. Uh, that's not an issue, but um, I'd love to race behind you um, because I'm sure I'd, one of the things that I'm really good at is I pick up just like you have and like I had to do um, in trading. There weren't really coaches and mentors for trading. There were for skiing, of course, and for yeah. racing. And just like you, I took advantage of that and learned how to do certain things uh, as far as skiing and knock on wood, um, it's worked out and I've had you know some success, but not at your level, not at that <laughs> level at all. But I love to ski um, and I'm really, I know that you'll enjoy it. Um, so I'll, I'll follow up on that. But also the other part of the backgrounds that are similar is when I finished playing pro football for the Bears, my agent said, what do you want to do now? Because they cut me the last cut, which is the worst time to get cut because um, you're not going to get picked up because everybody's already yeah. winnowed their list down to just these 45 guys or whatever. And so he said, do you want to go up and play in Canada? And no offense, Liana, but no. <laughs> CFL. Yeah. 
No. It's not the same. I get it. Right. <laughs> I respect him. And I know Flutie and a number of other top American players have played up there and done very well. Um, but no, not for me, not at linebacker, um, especially not for that money because yeah. the money was so minuscule compared to the NFL that it's like, I made more in a week than I'd make in a whole season up in Canada. Yeah. So I said, nah. Uh, but I said, the guys that watched us practice every day were all traders mm -hmm. because who else is done with their day at three in the afternoon when yeah. we go out and start stretching and then start playing you know, scrimmaging and so forth for the next week. So he said, well, if you want to trade, come on down to the floor and I won't pay you anything. Um, he was generous that way, my agent. <laughs> but he said, I'll give you an apartment where I've got three other pro athletes, three or four other pro athletes staying in this apartment. I'll give you a key. You can go there. And all he hired were pro athletes Yeah. for the exact reasons that Leanna just detailed, folks. Um, discipline, um, they are team oriented, um, and they would uh, basically understand that uh, at that level, you can't make a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to make money all the time. That's not what any of us preach. But in order to be at that game, you have to really be on your toes, especially on the trading floor. And so that, like I say, is uh, our paths have kind of <laughs> gone in similar routes. Yeah. But anyway, and that's not uh, to say that other people can't, because I, I'm one of the only, um, especially as a, a woman in the industry or any industry, um, I'm one of the only people I know that has that really had a very strict discipline like that as a child to a young adult. But anyone like, and that's what I love that you and what you and Pete are doing is that you really have a system to train people that didn't come from, you didn't, your brain wasn't grown with that mindset. My, my brain and yours training growing up like that, we, we were bred to operate in that way. But if people weren't, and now they're trying to get into finance or they're older getting into another sport, seriously, whatever they want to do, you really do have to have a system set up for you to succeed because you weren't necessarily, you don't necessarily think that way naturally. And that's sort of, it's almost like the debate of where people talk about are entrepreneurs born or are they bred? And I think it's a little bit of both. And I think, you know, you don't have to, your parents and your grandparents didn't have to be entrepreneurs for you to be an entrepreneur, but it's all about the way that you teach yourself and your discipline and your conviction in what you're doing and your plan. Right. And folks, um, it's so important, the discipline that you bring to it as a trader. Um, so exactly what Leanne is detailing here, um, a monkey can trade. A monkey could literally pick a stock and he might've picked Tesla. Um, and that monkey would be a very rich monkey right now, but the monkey won't, my dad used to say this too, Leanna, um, being a transplant surgeon, he said the same. I could teach a monkey, John, to be a surgeon, but he says it's knowing what to do especially when things don't work the way that you hoped that they would. So you go in there, you open the person up and it turns out that they have a slightly different connection to their kidney that that where it was supposed to, where the ureter and where everything else that goes on with your kidney and producing urine and filtering those toxins in your body, all that stuff, every once in a while, it's a little off or you nick something on the way in and so forth. And uh, a very quick surgery becomes an eight hour ordeal or whatever. Mm -hmm. So he said, that's where the monkey is going to fail. 
<laughs> well, I'm sure he would be astounded at what they are planning to do with robots in surgery yeah. now. And yeah, how you plan for that scenario, A, B, C, D, E. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know how that all works, but I do have, I've been looking into that space for investment purposes and it's really interesting. I think that would blow his mind, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. He just passed um, in August at 94, um, but brilliant guy um, and extremely talented surgeon. Um, and, you know, so I have all the respect in the world, of course, for um, healthcare workers, doctors, nurses. My mom was a nurse. Um, and uh, uh, there is an awful lot though that machines can do. Um, but again, not a monkey. <laughs> yeah. The monkey might be able to sit there and operate that Da Vinci or, uh, you know, whichever machine we're talking about, but not the monkey needs to know more and mm -hmm. you need to be able to apply it uh, when you've got something that's not working out, like a trade that's not working and how you cut your losses and so forth. Um, Liana, tell us a little bit about what Blackhawk Financial does and who are your target customers, mm -hmm. for instance? So whenever people ask whether it's, you know, I'm doing things to do with financial literacy and speaking in the media about that or Instagram, I always kind of have to explain my life and my career as very similar to, you know, what you do in your business as well. I sort of have a public career and public things that I do and then a private side and really like the private business is Blackhawk Financial. That's been around for about seven years now. I started that company when I moved back from working in London, doing investor relations and some M&A consulting, transactions consulting there. So when I came back to North America after, I sort of reconnected with that community that I had made before moving overseas. And I actually was Chicago. My first natural introduction to a client was an alternative loan company and a, a prop trading group out of Chicago. They had an alternative product that they wanted distribution for in Canada. And I was sort of figuring out, am I going to live in LA now, New York, Vancouver, where do I want to be? And this was just a natural entree into the entrepreneurial world and started the company for tax purposes, obviously, and for branding purposes. So I first started off with that company doing a lot of third-party marketing, bringing alternative products from the U.S. into Canada and distributing those amongst exempt market dealers, broker dealers, and um, high net worth family offices, financial advisors, and doing marketing and BD work for them. Um, and now that the company is here in New York, we do similar work, but it sort of runs the gamut of everything from traditional marketing, like setting up a website, pitch decks, um, investor marketing materials, to uh, third-party marketing and more the, the business development side for alternatives. So private equity, hedge funds, venture cap. And it's been, it's been a roller coaster for sure. Like any young entrepreneur, we always deal with different types of funds. And that's really what I love. I was always working with consulting firms prior to starting my own company. So I love not just being in-house for one firm necessarily, but having lots of different clients, different strategies that we're learning in marketing. And I'm just a sponge for knowledge. I love it. And I truly am so lucky and blessed that my natural personal passion of finance and other things, of course, but I truly read the same things on the weekend as I do during the weekdays. And, you know, I'm very interested in all things that come across my desk. And since in the last few years with the book coming out and having that more public side, 
there's been a lot of, there's fintechs, there's crypto, there's other types of companies and firms that approach us as well. So yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting because now, you know, we have, we've even done work for real estate developers that are like, well, you can market a hedge fund or you can market something like that, that most of the general public thinks is boring as hell. I mean, I'm sure you can market some $10 million penthouses for us. I'm like, yes, I could. Yes, so, so, you know, we, we say yes to, to different projects as well that aren't necessarily right in the core of where we started, but it's been a really interesting, uh, it's been an interesting ride for sure. Oh, fantastic. Um, so let me hit you up with a few of your topics from uh, uh, and that October paper that I talked about. Um, one of them was invest for success. Um, so as you probably know, you know, uh, what she did, folks, was she, Leanna, had invest for success, learn to, bu to budget. She had, I think there were five topics or something like that, Leanna. Um, I honestly, I don't even remember which one you're referring to. Don't live on credit. <laughs> just, and so everyone knows, we do post, I think, at least once a day, if not twice a day. Those yep. ca these captions and stuff take so long. It really is a lot of work. I was saying to you earlier, mm -hmm. I do not have the social media or the design skills, nor do I care to. So I do have people to help me with the design, but I do all the writing. It's just a lot of writing. So we try to serve value in entertainment. We give an entertaining post or a meme or something with a photo of me or someone looking crazy or some video of Beyonce on a stage. And somehow we relate that to trading and investing and give some some value in the caption. So I spend a lot of time doing it, but there's so many that I write that I don't remember exactly which one you're talking about. So well, but I know memory, you know but I'll, I'll let you best know. for success because yeah. you're saying if you've got some extra money sitting around, some people, especially these days, you're not going to get anything putting it in the bank. Yeah. And, you know, uh, either infamously or famously, um, as we were winding down 2020, Leanna, I was pulling money off the table from stocks, putting it into option spreads instead because I could get, you know, 90% of my money off the table, if not more, um, and still have exposure to that stock through an option spread. Mm -hmm. Own the call at the 80 strike, sell the 90 strike, I could make $10, you know, the difference between those two strikes and simulate a long position, for instance. Meanwhile, I wasn't gonna take that money and just leave it in the bank. I put it into Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So after, uh, uh, and I, I, I said this on TV, after, um, let's see, what was it? After Thanksgiving, Bitcoin had just topped 20,000 again and then snapped back down to 16 something. And I didn't buy it at the bottom uh, because I never really buy bottoms and sell tops, but I started aggressively getting back in to more Bitcoin with all that cash I was pulling off. Mm -hmm. I was going in at 17,000 and set it on TV. And they were all sort of incredulous, like, why would you wanna get out of these stocks here? Why would you wanna get out of those and into Bitcoin? And now today, as uh, Leanna and I are talking on the 7th of January, folks, Bitcoin topped 39,000 for the first time ever. Yeah. By the way, it topped 37,000, 38,000 and 39,000 on the same 24 hour clock. I was going to say, I looked right before we started recording, it was $150 away from 40,000. So it might be at 40 because it usually does tend to run like that. Right. So I, I, I would 
be surprised if we didn't hit 40 at some time in the next day or two, if not yep. today. If not right now while we're talking. So, sure. well, I mean, um, yeah, that's, you know, that's a definite part of investing for success is diversification, looking at different assets. A lot of people look at equities right now and especially domestic equities, and they think they're fully valued in many different spaces. Um, you know, even a lot of the, the recovery stocks like the airlines and hospitality and everything, those have run up a lot as well. And, you know, when people ask me and I don't give them direct investing advice, but, um, you know, in, in terms of generalizations, you can't have all your eggs in one basket to use that term. And you should have different types of assets as part of your portfolio. And I think that, you know, if you did benefit from the run-ups of 2020 from March to the end of the year, it makes absolute sense to take some of that money off the table and put it into a different asset class. And I think I got in around, I took that little dip at 22,000 um, to get into Bitcoin more recently. And it's one of those things though, it's even as professionals, I don't know about you, but even for me, it is a challenge. And I think, you know, you can speak to this as well because lots of people listening will want to know any or your thoughts and my thoughts, I'm sure on this. But with something like Bitcoin that runs so hard, so fast, like everyone and their mother is texting me right now in my personal sphere saying, Liana, oh my gosh, I, I, I should have gotten in when you started talking about it at 15,000, 17,000, 20,000. And then it went 25, 26, went down to 22. And I was able to get in there um, and put some more of my cash there because I was kind of the same thing. I felt like my equities allocations have been sort of fully valued. I didn't really see where I wanted to put more of the cash that I have into, into equities right now. And so, yeah, that's what I, I did the same thing, but everyone's asking how to do it. And now what should, what should we do now that it's almost 40,000, I missed the boat and, oh, I should have done it like weeks ago when you told me, and that is, this is not just Bitcoin. This is the story of investing period. Coulda, woulda, shoulda need to have the best timing, but you don't. And I think that's really what people need to learn and really need to learn that dollar cost averaging and laddering into positions. Like that's what professionals do. Professionals don't necessarily put all their eggs in into that one asset class at the one time they think is best. It's a, it's a gradual thing. So what, what would you say to people that are probably same thing with you today? They're going to be texting you 40,000. Why didn't I do it? Oh, I should have. So what are your thoughts on chasing the Bitcoin run up? Don't, <laughs> don't chase it. Um, do what Leanna just described. Um, decide how much you'd like to commit to it, whether it's Tesla, because think Leanna, how many people that said after the five for one split in Tesla, how many people said after that September run up, because it happened right after Labor Day, right? Right as we were running up, Apple split four for one, Tesla split five for one, both of them, same weekend. So as people looked at that, some people looked at the Tesla thing and then it immediately jumped right after that and then sold off hard after a two day jump to the upside. And everybody said, ah, oh, that was so easy to figure. You know, this, you, you should have been just shorting the heck out of it. You know, there's a lot of idiots out there about Tesla. Um, but I would say instead with Tesla, with Apple, with Target, with any of these stocks where you'd have FOMO, that fear of missing out, tell me how much you'd be comfortable putting in. 5,000, 20,000, 200,000, 2 million, whatever it is. Okay, 
Don't chase it here at 39,800. Say, okay, if I can wait and be patient and get a chance to do what Leanna just did and buy in, maybe not at 22, but maybe at 35, mm-hmm. that's $4,000 difference than where it is right now. So take whatever you would um, designate as a reasonable digital asset purchase, Bitcoin, Ethereum, um, Uni, whatever it is that you're buying mm-hmm. and say, I'm gonna wait. Um, I'm not gonna participate into that FOMO, into that fear of missing out, into that you know euphoria. Instead, I'm gonna say, you know what? I'm gonna be patient, but I do have a definite entry point here and whatever it is, maybe it's 34 or 35, maybe it's 30, depending how you know you look at. It. I mean, I'd encourage them, Leanna, to look at our crypto guys because we have a nice crypto team. Um, and I'd say, look at them. We're launching a fund, a crypto, uh, Bitcoin and top 10 coin fund, although it's not t- top 10 by market cap. We have a little flexibility there. Yeah. Um, but we're doing that. And by the way, it's launching up in, it's, it's an offshore thing, but it's not for US investors, except- I was going to say, that's what was so great about all the alternative products we had. And when I was distributing into Canada, it was like, it was so easy for them to do the Cayman sell or whatever. And all the Americans yep. were like, ah, oh, we can't participate in any of this. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and that's true. But anyway, make sure that you, whatever that amount is that's reasonable for you um, in whatever kind of investment, again, gold, crypto, stocks, say how much, you know, in your mind, figure out how much. And then if we get to that level, then pull the trigger. A lot of other people that since I've been doing this for 39 years, Leanna, a lot of people will say, well, yeah, I'd really like to buy, I'd be an aggressive buyer at 35. When it gets to 35, it ain't going to be easy because you're going to think it's going to 30. It's going to 25. It's retracing all the way back. Yeah. Pull the trigger. But like Leanna said, you don't have to go all in there. You can start getting in with, with stock and options. It's easier because when people come on our show, which you know, you've know you done, like I said, she's been on ABC, Bloomberg, CNBC. Um, when people come on and they say, well, I like it, but I like it 10% lower. Okay, sell a put. Um, if yeah. you're so bold as to say, yeah, well, I like it 10% down, sell that 10% out of the money put and see if you really like it there because that's obligating you to buy it if it <laughs> falls to that level. And most of them won't do it. I was going to say, I bet, I bet you hold people's feet to the fire in yeah. uh, the media and in that world all the time, because it truly there's, and eat, this is what's so important when people are learning to invest in equities and stocks directly or ETFs or their trading options or whatever you're doing, or you're getting into cryptocurrency and buying crypto directly. You need to actually like kind of what I say, anything in life say something and do it and actually make a plan with conviction, knowing why you would do it. And you're right. Options is a great way to do that because you actually hold yourself to something. You're committed to a contract to do something. And that's, that really holds you to it. And that doesn't allow you to emotionally waver when that point to make the decision and purchase or sell does actually come and you're watching the TV and everyone's hyping you up and everyone's fear mongering you. And you're like, Oh, crap, I shouldn't have done this. I can't do I can't do it anymore. It's, it's going to go all the way down. It's, it's done. Bitcoin's done. Well, you already, 
set something up, not for Bitcoin, but for, you know, equities in a stock that you're interested in, you already set that plan up, makes it a lot easier. I, I actually, thank goodness, I, I don't know if I should say I'm an unemotional person, but I'm very, I'm very easily able to separate emotions and personal life, business life with my investing decisions. Like that day at, I can't remember what date it was in March when Boeing hit 92. That was the first day of my life when I, because Boeing is one of my biggest positions. And I've been buying ever since the day that that plane crashed last year and slowly putting in little bits of money here and there. And it's gone all the way down. And when it went under a hundred bucks, I was like, is it too big to fail? <laughs> I started to get a little bit freaky, but then my, but then right away, I came back to the other side. I said, nope, that goes against everything you've ever taught yourself about having conviction in something that you're doing. And you're not going to be right all the time. Maybe I'll be wrong on Boeing, but I'm sure as hell not right now. When I bought, put a lot in at 92 in March, <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. So, yep. you know, and again, you're not always right when you make these decisions, but that's why you have to do your research, make a plan for success. And, you know, whether it's limit orders or options or whatever you're doing to actually make a, a solid plan around that, having things like a lot of people you may have heard on social media, a lot of the, the young millennial investing experts um, that talk about investing for younger people that are learning, talk about keeping things like an investment journal, just so you can remember like what your plan was why you created that plan, why you had so much conviction in that idea and, you know, where your thoughts are on pricing and, and when you might be interested in actually executing your plan. And then once you do it, obviously take note of why you did it at that certain time, just so you can always go back because, you know, most people have 20, 30, 40 positions in their portfolio and you can't always remember why you did something three years ago. So it's good to keep track if you can have some sort of journal or something is, is an idea I give people. Right getting into that habit. I mean, that is one of your points, that and don't live on credit. Um, obviously, don't live on credit is uh, especially valid right now, since so many people are still carrying, you know, hordes of student debt. Um, that's, that's a mistake that they made years ago. And they're still in the United States, as you probably know, it's not dismissible even in bankruptcy, yeah. at least right now. Now, Maybe under this administration, there will be some give on that. But up until now, they've totally sided, Leanna, with the banks. Yeah. And the bank said, yeah, we'll lend, but I have to be able to put my hand deep in her pocket to get it back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's been a problem with the runaway tuitions and all the rest, because there's this deep pocket, the government and the banks yeah. saying, go ahead, take out that loan. Well, I didn't on credit. there's so much background and history and, you know, political reasons as to why these decisions get made between like things like the government and the banks and funding and all of that political funding and um, corporate connections, you know, it's, it's all such a deep background, but the, again, the, the consumer can't rely. And we've seen that very clearly in 2020, the consumer and individuals know now, especially if you didn't know before, you can't rely on the government to teach you, to back you up financially, or to support you in really any situation, which is why learning the basics of money is so important and why the basics of credit and loans and debt, knowing what you're doing before you get into it. And I actually, you know, I would sit on the fence with that. I, I as someone who pays a lot of taxes and who didn't have 
debt and work four jobs during college to not have debt, you know, to have all of a sudden, let's say, okay, you're allowed to claim bankruptcy and your student loans that you maybe spent half of it on school, but you overextended and spent the other half of it because the bank said you could have the money on lifestyle. I don't necessarily think it's fair that you can file bankruptcy and that's, you know, just forgiven. Uh, and where does that debt then, where does that money fall onto other people that weren't in that situation? And obviously, again, this is a major, major topic of conversation that could go on forever with different opinions. But if we want to avoid that whole conversation altogether is how can we educate young people and show them the importance of going into these situations with your eyes wide open and just doing a better job from a younger age. The people that are already in those situations now, I feel for them in many different ways in the ways they didn't understand how this was going to work, but we have to do a better job. And I think, again, that's why social media is so great. You know, we can really reach a lot of people that were previously not reachable by Twitter and Instagram and, you know, putting yourself out there, me putting myself out there and really trying to give those basics because that kind of stuff comes way before, you know, a lot of the investing questions. And that's, what's interesting. And I'm sure you find a lot of this as well. Everybody talks about on the media about, you know, the TikTok traders and the Instagram Forex guys and all that, like there's so much misinformation on social media as well. But I think it's quite easy, in, in my opinion, if people do basic research to figure out someone you should listen to and someone you shouldn't listen to. And we're all really lucky. And, you know, all the young people out there in college right now are lucky that they have these resources available to them online to, to learn the right way and learn the basics. Yep. Well, um, you know, whether it's what Leanna does um, with the wealthy mindset, um, W-E-L-L, not W-E-A-L-T-H, the wealthy mindset, um, I think is just a very balanced, uh, smart way to look at it, Leanna. And I think if people um, looked at uh, and did some basic math uh, and were realistic. So for instance, if you wanna be a teacher um, and you want to take out $200,000 in debt to be a teacher. That's a really bad decision. Not that we, not that all of us, I mean, I was going to be an architect. You already heard Leanna say she didn't really plan on um, doing the job that she's doing right now, um, even though she was in love with finance. Um, but you might study something in college that you don't end up applying as your vocation going forward. We all get that. Um, I don't work as an architect. I never have worked as an architect. As soon as I walked into a, an internship, Leanna, I found out how little they made and I walked right out. I was like, are you kidding me? Why didn't my guidance counselor tell me you guys work like dogs for no money? If I'm good at math, which you have to be to be an engineer as you were talking about, um, if you're like your dad, if you're, if you're good at math, um, you can do pretty well in the stock market if you're disciplined. Um, but anyway, I think uh, if they applied a little bit of math to um, what job do you think you're going to be going for? Well, I think I'll be a CPA and I'll start off at 60 and I'll end up being five years in, I'll be making 90 or whatever. Great. How much debt can you afford then if that's your career path? Um, don't go over that. Yeah. Uh, because you're not going to be able to have any kind of lifestyle if you're shouldering $150,000 worth of debt 
and you're making 60 grand a year and it costs a lot to live where Leanna lives in New York, a lot less, by the way, to live here in Chicago. <laughs> I know, I love Chicago. Yeah, I used to go there once a month for that first client and um, I just love it. It's a great city, but it, you know, that is the truth and career counseling and career experts. Um, I think of parents, you know, this mm-hmm. is a great idea for parents and I'm sure there's a lot of people that listen, listen to your show that have kids that are gonna be going into college is, if you have the money for it, like hire a career counselor for your kid for an hour, just to give them an idea. Because usually the school counselors, they try, but they don't really go in there. As far as I know, school career counselors don't go in and say, here's your projected income for that arts degree that you want to do with that very expensive private arts school. This is your job opportunities after that. This is the range of income you're going to have. The school's going to cost you close to the same as what medical school is going to cost or something like that, right? You know, it's, it's really, and there are a lot of private career counselors out there. So that's a great gift for your kid for their next birthday or holiday. If you can get them a career counselor, even if they're already in college, because they can change their major, you know, maybe realize a sort of different path or a more business oriented path to something that they were interested in creatively, because we do know a lot of the people in creative schools and creative um, businesses, they struggle trying to make money and some of those programs are the most expensive programs to go to in school. So, you know, I think that's a great gift idea for someone is getting them a career counselor, getting them some basic education, getting them a a financial basics course somewhere or a tutor to teach them Mm -hmm. like adulting. This, uh, this is adulting stuff. This is not investing stuff or just money. This is like, how do I live on my own in an apartment and, and be able to pay for it as a 20 something without being riddled by credit card or student loan debt? Like it's, it should be basics. It should be things that people learn somewhere, but you know, not everybody does. And my parents were very frugal, very good with money, not at all in the financial sector, but I did get a lot of those basics of living frugally and understanding how to spend and save and live within my means. That's definitely something I learned growing up. And I'm very grateful for that. Well, um, so if, if we can, I'll wind it up with, uh, so as far as wealthy mindset, habits, give me a wealthy habit, a habit on the money side, and then give me a habit on the personal side that you okay. think have really benefited you and or that you would encourage other people to do. Number one on the money side, and this really includes anything money related, debt, credit, investing, all the things. I have something called the rule of seven. If you have debt, no matter what it is, your credit cards for some private loan for student costs, whatever it might be, a car loan. If you have debt that's over 7%, pay that off first, I say. Pay that off before you start really trying to allocate money to investing. Like a lot of time there will be young people, um, 20s, 30s, even 40s that DM me on Instagram and say, hey, so I have this car loan. It's at you know, I don't know how I got wrapped up in this. I didn't really get it. It's like 12%. I have $5,000 in credit card debt, but I just started working with this Forex guy on Instagram and I I sent him $10,000 and he's going to triple it like in 60 days. So do you think that's a good plan? Like, what should I do next? I really want to get into Bitcoin. And I'm like, no, you have to use something called the rule of seven. If you have debt over 7%, pay that off first before you invest have a little bit of cash as an emergency savings account, and then really put that money, live within your means and put the rest of that money into investing, especially when you're young, because 
it is going to pay off. This compound interest, compound returns is not a joke. It's not some theoretical thing that everybody talks about. And it's like, oh, but what does that really mean? Like it actually is the, the eighth wonder of the world yeah. and it's an incredible tool. But if you use the rule of seven, you know, over 7% of interest rate at your debts, pay that off first under 7%, like most student loans, try not to worry about it. If you're already in that place, you already made the decision. You already took the money. Don't kill yourself every day feeling indebted by that because it really is low interest debt and you can continue to invest, make your regular student loan payments at whatever it is under 7% and take the money, your savings above that and invest it because you will make more money investing usually over 7%, even if you're just putting it in an index fund, an ETF or an index mutual fund, you'll make over 7% doing that. So that's what makes more logical sense from a money perspective. If you can't go to sleep every night because of your student loan debt, even if it's only at 4% and you feel sick to your stomach every day you wake up and you just want to pay it off, fine, do that. Prepay your student loans, get rid of it, get rid of the debt. And that's, you know, that's just a mental thing that you have to deal with, mm-hmm. but that's your own decision. The, the other way using the rule of seven is the more financial um, dollar cent smart way to do it. But that's my first sort of big tip is using something that I call the rule of seven. Okay. Now, what about the other side of uh, habits? What kind of habit do you have every day? Is it eating well? You've already mentioned sleeping, so you can't go there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Is it eating well? Is it exercise? What is it that is a habit that makes you a better person? Well, I'll I'll start with this. I'm a Virgo, clearly a type A woman, grew up as a competitive athlete. So I'm pretty structured and I do all the things to use one of the most overused terms on social media in 2020. I do all the things um, when it comes to wellness. (laughs) It's unprecedented how many things I do (laughs) to use another term. So my, my biggest thing I would say a hundred percent is movement. I think movement sets the tone for your endorphins and your brain and gets your body going. It wakes you up after that great minimum seven hour sleep you had for productivity and movement is the most important thing I do every morning. Good thing I have a dog and I live right next to central park. So I get the fresh air. Like I know you do, I think every morning as well, movement, fresh air, and then come back and refuel on not a box of cereal that's sugar junk, not, you know, some waffles or pancakes, eat quality foods, whole foods, And again, all of these things in terms of the wellness side, the sleep, the food, movement and exercise, this is all just fueling your brain, giving your brain the capacity to educate yourself, to make the best decisions, to teach yourself the things you don't know and have the energy to actually do it. Because I think the number one thing that everybody says about, even though all these resources are available to teach yourself how to invest in trade, to teach yourself how to live a happier, healthier, wealthier life is that people are so tired and run down by whatever their nine to five job is that's not in finance or if it is in finance or their kids or their spouse or whatever other stressors they have in their life, they don't have the energy or they say the time to learn all of these things about money, even though maybe they've wanted to for years, they've wanted to start investing. You have to take care of your mind and your body to give yourself the energy to say from three to four today, when my kid is napping, 
and I don't have to work that late today. I'm putting it in my calendar to go look at John and Leanna's Instagram and just start learning something on Twitter or Instagram and look at a program, read a book, you know, do something to keep moving to get to that point. But the wealthy, you know, WBLLTH, it's all together. But yeah, you got to fuel what's going on up here to be able to make it here. That's right. <laughs> Love it. Leanna, thank you so much for your time today. It's, Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I look forward to uh, inviting you out to those uh, races next year. <laughs> Unfortunately, not happening this year, but um, I'll look forward to that as well. Oh, I can't Thank wait. I'll see you on the slopes. <laughs> yep. See you then. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.